Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. And just may you be blessed today, Lord, in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, Paul continues to cover um, some practical things that uh, are, are, are being applied to the, the believers, the Jewish believers um, that he's writing to. And so, um, last week, um, we, we covered you know, government and how we're to operate within that, that we're to honor them, that we're to pay our taxes um, regardless of our feelings for them. We're not to live in anarchy. We're not to create, you know, we're not to rise up against the government. Um, and so now Paul gets into um, the, uh, the daily life of a, of a Jewish believer um, one that would be uh, weak in their faith and one that would be strong in their faith. And the title of this message is The Law of Liberty and Love. And so as Christians, as in this time as Jewish Christians, they would have gone through a process of needing to lay down or let go of their religious system that they were used to, that they thought would keep them close to the Lord. When Jesus came, all of that went away. Um, and so no longer are foods, you know, not right to eat. It used to be pork was wrong, anything with a cloved foot. There was a lot of um, do's and don'ts in the Old Testament pertaining to food. And so when Jesus came, all that went away. If, and and, and we, we read in, in Acts when Peter was, you know, acting one way towards you know, the Jews and Gentiles, and then he would act another, and he wanted to, I'm paraphrasing, he wouldn't eat certain foods. There became this tablecloth. It says a cloth. I think of it as a tablecloth. And all of the animals that God created came down, and God said, kill and eat. And Peter was kind of offended, and he said, I'm not going to do that. And the Lord said, you can't call unclean what I call clean. And the reality was is that Peter was having a hypocritical moment of thinking that those that were Gentiles were unclean. Okay. And so the, the, the reality of what all of chapter 14 really is talking about is making sure that we don't have a judgmental attitude towards our brothers and sisters in regards to secondary issues, okay? The main issue is salvation and biblical context, okay? If it's not in the word of God, if it's out of context, hey, let's, let's dialogue about that. If it's a secondary issue, like what you wear, you know, how you're dressed, obviously if you, okay, so let me back up with that. Uh, we deal with youth ministry, you know, what's hottest is modest is, you know, modest is hottest is the saying, right? So that obviously matters, but that goes in the line of not causing your brother or sister to stumble sexually, right? We want to make sure that we don't live in the appearance of sin or of anything that would cause someone to stumble. So we can't really get out of this. You might, you might say, well, well, you know, this person's not doing this right thing, and I want to have an attitude about them. Well, let's get into this today. And what we see here that right off the bat, Paul says, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Verse two, for one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. And that word weak there, it means a Jewish believer who is new in their faith, okay? It could be in context for us, you know, I, I don't know if there's any, you know, Jews here, but us Christians who are not Jewish, it would be somebody who's new in their faith in Christ. 
a baby Christian. Exactly right. Verse three, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats for God has received him. And so Paul's saying, look, don't dispute over the secondary thing. Food is irrelevant. But also don't act in such a way that it causes the, your, your weaker brother or sister to despise you. We see here Paul tackling the subject of judging each other over non-essential things or doubtful things, things that are not clear in scripture, things that are, are man's made up traditions, things that are created out of thinking that one needs to adhere to religious traditions to be saved. Where we see the weaker person, like I had mentioned, this is not about strength or to say that they are less than others. It is simply stating, saying that they are new in their faith in Jesus Christ and have not learned that there is freedom in Jesus. Some that were young in their faith, still learning that it was okay to eat whatever God had created, they would maybe only eat vegetables. The opening statement in verse one sets the expectation that those that have learned about their freedom in Jesus Christ, that he is Lord and not the eating or not eating, they are to receive their brothers or sisters that are new in the faith without judgment of their weakness in their faith. We see in verse three that it is God who has received both believers, regardless of their eating habits. It is God who receives the person, not you or I. What happens here is when we take this attitude towards others, guess what you start and I start doing? We start thinking that we're God in their life. We start thinking that we are the Holy Spirit in their life. And when none of us are. Verse four, who are you to judge another servant? To his own master, he stands or falls. Indeed, we will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. So in other words, you and I are not God. You are not the Holy Spirit in anyone's life. God is able to help all of us along and give us the strength to stand. You are not your Christian brother or sister's master. God is. Obviously, this was happening within the Jewish believers. This never happens in our day and age, does it? <laughs> you laugh because it does. Yeah. And you know what's at stake? The health of the body. The growth of a new believer. See, we're to help each other in love and not looking down our noses at each other. Oh, you do that still? It's not how we're to be. Ultimately, we are to point each other to Jesus because our lives need to be submitted to him. He is the one that does this work. He is our master. We see in Ephesians chapter three, verse 20 through 21, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Do you know what is exceedingly and above, abundantly above all that you ask or, or seek or think? Sorry. It's not your bills. It's not your relationship with your spouse or the future one. It's none of those things. It's the transformation of your heart being obedient to a holy God while still living in a sinful body. 
That's what's above that we could ever ask or think. Because see, the real issue is the circumcision of our heart towards God. See, it used to be that, you know, in the Old Testament, men had to be circumcised. God required it. It was a, it was a sign of a covenant between them and God. And Jesus came that, that it was no longer necessary for, for, for that. Jesus was the final sacrificial blood covenant, the pure lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecy pertaining to the Messiah. See, what now is at stake is the circumcision of our heart. In other words, who you and I are inside, are we literally cut off our old sinful nature inside of us and being submitted to God? It's a process. All of us, myself included, we are in a process of sanctification. Salvation is instant once you receive Jesus, and then the road of sanctification as God allows us to live on this earth. Some account it to peeling back an onion. You ever peeled an onion? I'm not talking about just cutting it, but peeling it. The first layer, eh, no big deal. The second layer, well, you get to like the third layer, and if it's a hot onion, you're crying. So as God peels back the layers of our sinful nature, revealing our desperate need for Jesus, it really should start causing us to be humble and crying before him to be able to receive this great work that Jesus talks about or that Paul talks about God's ability to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think. And we see here continuing in Ephesians 3, 20 through 21, according that this work that Christ does in us, it's according to the power that works in us. It's according to the power of the Holy Spirit. And then to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So it is God, the Holy Spirit, it's Jesus. He is the master of your brother and sister and you you are not. You can't do anything above anything they ask exceedingly abundantly beyond they, th they might think. Well, you might be able to do things that they say, I never thought you'd do that. But pertaining to the work of God in somebody's life, you and I cannot, will not ever be able to accomplish what God can accomplish in each other. You know, what we can do is we can get in the way. We can create havoc. We can create bitterness and selfishness and, and unforgiveness and hate. We can be a stumbling block to our brother and sister by having a judgmental demeanor on secondary things. So Paul is really just unraveling these things. And again, through, the, through Romans, the whole thing is the gospel, the good news of Jesus and how it applies to our life. We need to apply it to our life. Verse five, we see here, Paul continues, says one person esteems one day above another. So we see a separation. You know, you might have somebody who says, okay, this is the day we're to worship. It's supposed to be great. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. I really liked how the Believer's Bible Commentary expounded on this verse because we really need to kind of delve into what this means in regards to, you know, days of worship. And, 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 and if one person esteems one like the other, does it make the other one less than? Some Jewish Christians still in this time looked on the Sabbath as a day of obligation. Keep that word, obligation. They had a conscience about doing any work on Saturday. In that sense, they esteemed one day above another. Other believers did not share this Judaistic scruples or principles. They looked on every day alike. They did not look upon six days 
as secular and one as sacred. To them, all the days were sacred. But what about the Lord's day, the first day of the week? Does it not have a special place in the lives of Christians? We see in the New Testament that it was the day of the Lord's resurrection, which we'll find. I'm not, I did not put the scripture references up here. I'm just going to read the, the um, address. Um, we see in the New Testament that it was the day, we see in the New Testament that it was the day of the Lord's resurrection, Luke 24, 1 through 9. On the next two Lord's days, Christ met with his disciples, John 20, 19 through 26. The Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost, which was on the first day of the week. Pentecost occurred seven days after the Feast of First Fruits, which was established Leviticus 23, verse 15 and 16. And the day of Pentecost is Acts chapter 2, verse 1, which symbolizes Christ's resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 and 23. Um, the disciples gathered to break bread on the first day of the week. We see that in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Paul instructed the Corinthians to take a collection on the first day of the week. So the Lord's day does, so the Lord's day does stand out in the New Testament in a special way. But rather than being a day of obligation, like the Sabbath, it is a day of privilege, Realized from our ordinary employment, we can set it apart in a special way for worship and serving our Lord. Nowhere in, New Test in the New Testament are Christians ever told to keep the Sabbath. And yet at the same time, we recognize the principle of one day in seven, one day of rest after six days of work. So we recognize that, but the New Testament does not demand that for us to keep a Sabbath. You can worship the Lord any day you want. Historically, churches meet on Sundays. Historically, if churches met on Thursdays, guess what? We'd be meeting on a Thursday. Whatever view one holds on this subject, the principle is this. Listen, you guys. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, it should be clear that such a principle applies only to matters that are morally neutral. That's a key, morally neutral. When it comes to fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith, there is no room for individual opinions. Are you following me? Doctrinal faith, biblical truth, not, if, if, it's, not, if it's not morally wrong, if it... If it doesn't go against scripture fully, when I say fully, I mean in context, sorry. You're all, is there a partial? <laughs> so there's no room for individual opinions when it comes to the fundamental doctrine of the Christian faith. And the fundamental doctrine of the Christian faith is in here, nowhere else. There's no room for this. But in this area where things are neither right nor wrong in and of themselves, there is room for differing views. They should not be allowed to become tests of fellowship. In other words, they should not be a divide between fellowship amongst believers. Are you following me? So that is the explanation of verse 5 where it states, one person esteems one day above another, Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. So we see here in verse six through nine, um, he who observes the day observes it 
to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats to the Lord, he gives thanks, he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Verse nine, for to this God Christ, for to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Excuse me. Again, the context here is things that people create problems with that aren't real issues. They're secondary issues, okay? And so you see in verse 6 through 9, when we take a stance of thinking we are better than one another or that we are less than one another, or we look at each other in judgment over non-essential things, such as which Bible translation is used, what food we eat, how we sing worship songs, or hymns only, or dressing casual, or in suits and ties, and dresses down to your ankles, not cutting of the hair, or cutting the hair differently, or where we shop, etc., etc., etc. Isn't that in a movie? There are people that stand in pulpits and condemn people who do not read or teach from the New King James. There are people that condemn others for not having hymns. There are people who condemn churches because I wear tennis shoes and not a tie. There are people that condemn churches because a guitar is used or drums are played. All of these are man-made secondary issues and they only create a schism within the body, a separation within the body. There are some churches that believe if you don't speak in tongues, you aren't saved. That's not biblical. There are some people who believe that that, you know, if, 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 you know, that doesn't happen, that you're not going to get, go to heaven. That's not in the Bible. That's a secondary issue. Okay. Well, it's a biblical issue for me as a pastor, because we have to look in Corinthians and say, okay, what does God's word really speak about the gifts? But the point is, is that we cannot stand on our own and try and judge people and think that it's okay when God has called us to work together to point people to Jesus. And what Paul's uncovering here really, and, and I'll get to this in a minute, like if there's something in your life that you know that your brother or sister in the Lord who's younger in the Lord, if it's gonna cause them to stumble, don't do it. If you choose to do it, then you don't love them and you're not loving them. So when we start looking at other Christians in this manner, like I had mentioned about all of these different things, dresses, food we eat, the way worship songs are, hymns, New King James only, or whatever it might be that is a secondary issue. When we start looking at other Christians in this manner, we become the judge of their life. That cannot be. Because the one that will judge the fruit in our lives is Jesus Christ himself. Now, this is not to say that we can do whatever we want and however we want, no matter what, and carry the attitude of, and I hate this saying, only God can judge me. 
don't know if you've ever heard that before. People say that, no, only God can judge me. In other words, I, I don't need you. People say that. They have that attitude nowadays. So yes, we all will be judged by him, yes. But we also do need accountability in our lives. If we did not need accountability in our lives, then the Holy Spirit would have never allowed Paul to even write what we are reading today. As Christians, we are to do all things as unto the Lord. We are to live for him. We are to have our lives pointed to him. Christ is Lord. He died and rose and lived again after death so that he might be the Lord of both death and life in a person's life. This speaks of Christ's supremacy in verse 9. He is the Lord of life and death. He is over all of those things. But how many times in our lives do we act like the Holy Spirit or act like God or, or become judgmental? You know how the saying goes, right? If you're pointing your finger at somebody, how many fingers are pointing back at you? Three. Scripture says you're you know, you're trying to get, I'm paraphrasing this, but don't worry about the, you know, speck in your brother's eye when you got a log sticking out of your own. It used to be saying that if you're trying to fix your brother, you know, that my microphone's over there, you know, you're going to hit them with this log sticking out of your eye. Friends, we need to start worrying about how our own personal relationship is with Christ. And then maybe, just maybe, we might be able to encourage our brother and sister next to us We see in verse 10 through 12, but, but why do you judge your brothers? Paul's saying, why? Or why do you show contempt for your brothers? Contempt's a pretty heavy duty word, actually. But for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. In other words, every single human being on the globe born in the past born in the future, all of them will stand before God. Everyone will bow. You know, um, you ever see movies where the king is sitting on the throne and the enemy comes into his courtroom? What do they do? They bow or they get killed. And I'm not saying that in heaven, you know, or, or at the judgment seat that people are, well, that's not true. There are people who will be sent away from his presence. But the context is that because Christ is king, he is the authority. Every knee will bow, whether believer or non-believer. And so who are we to have that type of attitude towards others? God, forgive us. Verse 12, so then each of us shall give account of himself to God. We will be judged by God for how we act. Let me say that again. You and I, people, will be judged by God for how we act. You're like, that's heavy, Brian. Well, it's just a reality, and it should cause us to think about, how am I acting, Lord? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27 says this. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. 
Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should I myself should become disqualified. So we see here in Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, Paul uses the picture of a race or somebody competing. And for us, there's a certain guidelines that we are to live by just as there are rules in a race. So we are to live this life according to God's authority in our lives and not live in such a way as one that beats the air with no agenda or goal. My friends, your agenda and goal in your life should be to honor Christ with your life and to encourage those around you with your life. It's a gift. That's why you're here. You're not here for yourself. We, we think we are. I think I am. But the reality is, is that God has given the breath in our life and given us an opportunity to either have received Christ already or today maybe you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Well, today's the day of salvation and you need to get right with God. And if you're a Christian and there's sin in your life, you need to lay it down and get right with God because Jesus is coming soon. And I don't say that lightly. We see here a Paul, he says in verse 27, but I discipline my body. There's a process that you and I have to do to discipline ourselves, to be able to have a walk with Christ that's worthy of our calling by him. That means dying to your flesh and getting up and reading the Bible. Start there. Start reading the Bible. Everything else will distract you. Throw your phone down. Go to the quiet place, get a notebook, and open your Bible. And in a month, say, hey, you know what, Brian? That sucked and it failed. I, it's not going to say, that's not going to happen. Because when we give God an inch in our life by submitting ourselves to him and giving place for his authority in our life, he knows how to run with that. Because what did we read in Philippians? That he's able to do greater things than what we could ask or think. We serve a mighty God. We're to live in a way according to God's authority in our life and not live in such a way as one that beats the air with no goal or agenda, but to live with the goal in mind that God sees you and me. He sees us. And we are to operate in this life to please him. He is Lord. And that word Lord means he is absolutely king over all things. Paul paints another picture of the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So in other words, Christ is the foundation of our faith. He is the cornerstone. He is where we get our standard of living from. He is the rock of our salvation. 
Paul continues in verse 12 through 15. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it. The day being the day that you and I stand before the true and living God and bow down before him. And he reads the account of our life. You're like, I'm never coming back to this church. Certain times in scripture, there's a warning pertaining to how we conduct our lives because God wants to get our attention. You know why? Because he's a good God and he loves us and he only has good things for us and he wants us to be in love with him. Are you in love with him? Are you in love with him enough to let go of things that he asks you to let go of? That's an honest answer. Each one's work will become clear and the day will declare it for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through fire. So in other words, our works will be judged Work that endures God's judgment will receive a reward. Lost my place, sorry. Work that does not endure is burned up. The reward will be lost, but salvation is secure, but as through fire. We can't lose our salvation. You didn't make it. You didn't earn it. It was given to you by the grace of God. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he willingly laid down his life for us filthy, dirty, rotten sinners because he loved us and loves us. He didn't say, oh, you know, if Brian got this right, I'll die for him. No, I would have failed trying to get something right. I don't know about you, but the Lord loves us and he sent his son Jesus to die for us so that we wouldn't only have eternal life with him written in blood by Jesus that shed his blood on the cross, but as a believer, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and it, no one can remove it from there. You know why it's so secure? Because we're all so messed up, we wouldn't know how to maintain our salvation even after he gave it to us. because our sinful nature is deceptive, because our heart naturally is wicked. Go through the Old Testament and read about God's people. Not too long after they walked through the Red Sea, they were having a horrible thing happen. I have little kids in the room, I can't say the word, but they were worshiping other gods. And the priest, Aaron, was the one who created the golden calf. It was like the whole, most, it was like one of those things where what? And then Aaron, who's the priest, made an excuse. I don't know what happened. The gold, it all fell in the fire and a calf came out. (laughs) So you have God's people who are totally going against God and sinning. And you have the person who's supposed to be watching over the people lying about what happened. How many of us would attend that church? None of us. 
but yet God continues to love them through this whole process. They cross the Jordan River. We read about that a few weeks ago. And the grace of God is apparent and available and ready for us today. So the question remains, as reading 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15 in context of what Paul was writing in Romans, in verse Ten through twelve, where he says, "But you, but why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. And we see here that in First Corinthians three ten through fifteen verse 14 and 15, sorry, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through, the, as through fire. Our actions here as Christians matter, okay? And I don't know about you, but I'm glad that my life is walking somewhat with the Lord compared to 20 years ago. Because I will stand before the Lord. He's going to hold accountable how I acted as a Christian 20 years ago. And I'm going to have to give account to it. And maybe he's going to say, Brian, those 20 years that you walked in sin knowing what your calling was, look, you, this reward isn't yours. But moving forward, you get this other reward. How we act matters to the Lord. Let us not operate in judgment towards our brothers and sisters. One commentator says this, he states, how does the Christian prepare for the judgment seat of Christ? By making Jesus Lord of his life and faithfully obeying him instead of judging other Christians. We had better judge our own lives and make sure we are ready to meet Christ at the Bema seat. Man, I'm like, oh my gosh, Lord. Can I sit where you guys are right now, please? I am. This is convicting. We should adhere to this stuff and listen and go, okay, Lord, is there anything in me that doesn't please you? Please reveal it and help me to let go of it. And if you pick it up again, say, Lord, I'm sorry for picking that up again. You told me not to hold on to that. That's what his grace is for, okay? There's no perfect people in here, okay? Maybe my wife, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, Kyle, you're kicked out. Just kidding. Man, but no, seriously, though, God's grace is there for us, but not as an excuse to act how we want. <sighs> Verse 13 of uh, Romans 14, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this. In other words, stop. Get Stop, just don't. Not to put a stumbling block. Don't put a stumbling block or a cause uh, to fall on, on our brother's way. Don't do it. Don't, don't do these things anymore. It's clear that this judgmental attitude was very much alive and active between the believers in Paul's time. And not much has changed in our lives as believers today. It's clear here that those that have this judgmental attitude are to stop. If that's you, stop. 
God's telling you through his word today, don't do that anymore. And I'm not saying thus say the Lord, the Bible's saying that. The Bible's pretty clear about things sometimes. And the Holy Spirit's fun in regards to bringing conviction. And that's when we're to pray. Say, God, I'm sorry. I will stop. That's called repentance. Turning the other direction. Hmm. The cause of this stance towards other believers creates a stumbling block, giving opportunity to have the focus taken off of Jesus Christ and then placed on to the issue that really is not an issue at all. It's not an issue. It's an issue because you made it one. The only reason it's an issue is because, except for the fact that you've made it an issue. Verse 14, Paul continues, says, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. In other words, a chicken isn't unclean by itself. Somebody told me once that, and this came to mind, and I don't know if he used it in this portion of scripture, but I'm going to say it anyways, and some of you might freak out a little bit, but a cigarette isn't bad until you light it and smoke it. Yes, it has carcinogens. Yes, it's a bad thing, but it doesn't have any ramifications until you put action to it. So things in and of themselves aren't unclean as it pertains to being clean or acceptable. Paul knew then, and we do as well today, that there are no longer ceremonially unclean foods. They all have been sanctified by the word of God and prayer. First Timothy chapter four, verse four through five. Timothy, uh, Paul writing to young pastor Timothy, for every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. Verse five, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Back to Romans 14, verse 15. Yet if your brother is grieved by, because of your food or, or you are no longer walking in love, do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Yes, there's freedom in what I can eat. However, if I sit down to a meal with a weaker brother and I do not care about where they are in their walk, and this could be applied to anything in our life, okay? Okay. And I, if I sit down, I don't care where they are in their walk and just eat lobster in front of them, knowing that it is an issue for them, then I am no longer walking in love, but in selfishness. Where to think of others. See, back then, food was a big deal. For us, it could be something else. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, I tell this to teenagers all the time. Memorize this scripture. It was given to me by my college pastor when I was a young adult and wanted accountability in my life. This was the first verses he said, memorize these. Philippians chapter two, verse three through four says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. You guys remember the golden rule? I don't even know if that's in school anymore. But this encapsulates that. Stop thinking of yourself. My wife's probably back there going, yeah, Brian. 
I know, babe. I'm just playing. We have a great marriage. Sometimes it feels like it's louder than other times. We're Italians. Yeah. Yep. Italians aren't quiet people, and they don't discuss things quietly. We try. It just doesn't work. 17 years, and it still is just, I don't know. <laughs> so we're not to operate selfishly. This verse 15 talks about that. You know, if your brother's grieved by your food or whatever might be, you might be doing that's secondary that bothers them, don't, don't destroy that. Don't destroy with food the one from whom Christ died. So what's the issue? The issue is the well-being of the person. God's passionate about people. Verse 16 of Romans 14, therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil. In other words, the things in our lives that are secondary, though in and of themselves they may be allowed or okay, they should not be the reason for others to say that we're unloving or selfish in our actions. 17 and 18, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. So in other words, your choice of food or beverage is not what is the key to a godly life. The kingdom of God is based on righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, the issue is not food and drink, the concern is living according to the power of the Holy Spirit. That's where righteousness is. That's where true peace is. That's where real joy comes from. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 26 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let our actions dictate the fact that we actually have the Holy Spirit in us. Let us not become conceited. Oh, what? Oh, okay. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Same context of what Paul's writing to the Romans. Verse 19 through 21 in Romans 14. I'm going fast. I know. Sorry. I just want to get through this because we're going to eat chili. <laughs> Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. And when it says made weak, made given the opportunity to not grow in their walk with Jesus. What's interesting here is this is actually the Lord placing the responsibility on the believers pertaining to the growth and accountability, and relationship, and spurring each other on in the Lord. We are all together. God's the one who created that. We did not. That is not created because you're sitting in seats next to each other. It's not created because we join each other in a building. It's because God ordained the believers to be connected with each other in such a way that it causes us to grow in our walk with Christ. And when things detour from that, we don't grow. 
And guess who's responsible for how we act towards others? You are. I am not responsible for you. I'm responsible for me. I might think it's somebody else, but it's me. You may think, oh, well, they said mean things. Okay, well, you're supposed to be forgiving. We talked about that before. I think we all cried that day. Instead of arguing over silly things, just, do, just to be right. Make every effort to pursue the things that make peace and things that lift each other up. Let us encourage each other in our walk with Jesus in whatever stage that we're in. Those that have walked with Christ for many years need to grow in love for their weaker brothers or sisters. Those that are young in their faith, they need to grow in their knowledge of God. That's where we see here in verse 19 through 21. As it pertains to food and drink or days of worship, don't create issues in these areas for each other, causing your brother or sister to stumble. We are to walk out this Christian life together, encouraging each other to learn, to understand, and to know what it means to love God with all of our heart, to love him with all of our soul and strength. How can we do this if we are focused negatively on the things that God has given freedom in? We can't. We see here in verse 22 and 23, in closing, I'm going to read, David Guzik states this, but I'm going to read verse 22 and 23 together. Do you have faith? Have, have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he who does not eat from faith, for whatever reason, for whatever it, I'm sorry, because he, he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. I really don't like reading large portions of commentary, but I wanted to read this. Um, I did that a couple of times in this message because sometimes Paul's writing, it, it just needs some expounding upon. And, and, you know, I just wanted to make sure that this is clear. And I really wrestled with these verses. Lord, how are we going to communicate really what you're saying here? And so where it says, do you have faith? In other words, if you have strong faith and feel liberty to partake of certain things, praise God, but have your strong faith be before God, not before a brother who will stumble. In other words, just because you're strong in your faith and you know that God has allowed you to walk away from things, well, don't, like, there's people in my life that smoke cigarettes. I don't have a problem with it anymore. But I don't look down on them and say, you know what, you're just a dirty smoker. <laughs> it's just, I'm not going to use the freedom that God gave me to condemn somebody in, in my life. I might make fun of it, but I'm not going to condemn them. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in whatever he approves. In other words, not every Christian knows this happiness. There are things God may challenge us to give up, but we go on approving them in our life. Thus, we condemn ourselves. It may not be that the thing itself is clearly good or bad. Somebody's melting some tires off but it is enough that God speaks to us about the matter. In other words, if God's calling you to let go of something, let go of it. Don't live in a life of, of being condemned by it. Each of us must ask, God, what is there in my life hindering a closer walk with you? I want to know the happiness that comes from not condemning myself by what I approve in my life. 
This takes faith because we often cling to hindering things because we think they make us happy. I don't know about you, but I deal with that. I don't want to cling to things just because I think it makes me happy. Real happiness is found being closer and closer to Jesus and by not being condemned by what we approve. Do you get what it's saying? So then where it goes on, it says, whatever is not from faith is sin. Paul concludes with another principle by which we can judge. Gray areas, quote unquote, if we can't do it in faith, in other words, if we can't include Jesus in it, it's probably sin. This is a wonderful check on our tendency, listen, you guys, to justify ourselves in the things we permit. If we are troubled by something, it likely isn't of faith and likely is sin for us. And so we are to live in a way where we're not looking down our nose at other people just because their walk is different than ours. Obviously, if there's sin issues, we're to hold each other accountable. God's word is faithful. He says that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we confess our sins to him. So we're all in process. And Paul just uncovered the reality that there was judgmental Christian Jews that were judging other Christian Jews that were younger in the faith and felt burdened to still live under the old law. There's some of us here that are still getting rid of things, you know? If it's not sin, man, God's going to get rid of the things in your life. If there's something in your life he's asking you to get rid of, it could be anything. It could be the way, if you have a, a habit of buying too many shoes, maybe all of a sudden God's convicting you of that. I don't know. But that's something that God, I'm not going to walk into your house and say, gosh, dang, you have 500 pairs of Nikes? We're moving to a church. Why sell them? Just kidding. But seriously, though, we're to be in process and we're to love the Lord and we're to let him sift our lives, okay? Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that we're gonna partake today of chili and pray that um, it would just be an awesome time of fellowship. Lord, um, just bless those that have sat today and listened to your word. And anything, God, that I've said that's not of you, just remove it. Lord, help us to not live a life of judging others on secondary issues. Lord, one day we will be before you and how we operate, you will hold us accountable for those things. So Lord, Lord, forgive us if we've acted in any way, God, that's displeasing to you. Lord, I pray the areas of our lives you're asking us to get rid of, we just lay them down so that we don't live in condemnation, Lord, of those, that personal condemnation that we have against ourselves. God, thank you that um, you love us so much that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, that you forgive us, Lord, that you forgive us in such a great way that we can walk in freedom and not have to go back to things. Just thank you, Lord, for who you are. Just praise you and give you all the glory. Lord, um, may this food nourish our bodies, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.